It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it, because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants Mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. John Schmelk, Paul Dottino with you. We will be taking your calls later on in the show at 201-939-4513. We'll also be taking your tweets at hashtag GiantsChat. But what's going to become a semi-regular Thursday feature before every Giants home game and maybe even a big road game as well down the road is the Sims Spotlight brought to you by Bigelow T. Get out there and tee proudly. Joining us is Phil Sims. Phil, what's going on? You got Schmoke and Tatino here. Yeah, well, everything's going on. I mean, a lot of football games to watch during the week. Uh, exciting first two weeks. And, um, hey, listen, after the summer and the whole offseason we had, I'm so happy football's here. And, and so far, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Phil. And by the way, for the fans out there, you can submit your questions to Phil at hashtag GiantsChat. We will put up a post every Tuesday. You can reply to that, and we'll get your questions to Phil. And, Phil, we got some really good questions actually coming in from some of our fans. We'll get to them in a second. But I want to go here first because the Giants are playing the 49ers this week. They are really banged up. How do you think this affects what the 49ers are going to do this week on both sides of the ball? What have you seen from them on tape the first two weeks of this season? Well, you you know, the first thing and always with the 49ers, two things. Rush rush defense, guys that can rush the passer, and running the football. That's what you see. I think the fact that they got so many injuries, uh, starting another quarterback, missing two pass rushers, or, you know, maybe the best pass rusher in the NFL, and another guy inside in Solomon Thomas. But, you know, it, it's interesting. Psychologically, I think the team has to be down complaining about the turf, here they come again, all those injuries, backup quarterback, and the Giants, they got a couple things on their side, all those things I just said, and desperation. 0-2 in the NFL is a <clears throat> an unbelievably tough place to be, but 0-3, man, you know, then you start second, you start second-guessing yourself and what you're doing if you go 0-3. You know, Phil, we talked to Joe Judge about the whole turf thing that Shanahan and his players brought up last week after the game against the Jets. And Judge said, you know, I had my guys doing a walkthrough virtually every day for a month during training camp. Nobody ever said a word. Everybody's fine with it. For me, I think the distraction of talking about an injury is probably the last thing in the world the 49ers should be doing because that's when you start getting hurt is when you think about it, right? Well, I, I, I'm not going to say it, it make, lets you get hurt because you're thinking about it, but it can make you apprehensive. There's no doubt. I mean, they haven't let the subject go. Uh, I heard it again this morning, some more complaints about the turf. So, you know, uh, you know, the one thing you can do, like all football players, I mean, Bill Parcells used to say it, hey, go take, take enough pair of shoes, make sure you get the right pair of shoes that works, works because I don't want to hear anything about sticking to the turf, you're slipping or none of that. That is not an excuse that we're going to take. So, you know, the 49ers got to stop thinking about it, talking about it, and knowing, hey, listen, it's the Giants. They're 0-2, but I'll tell you what, this will be a very competitive close game, and I think the Giants will be in the same position they've been in the first two weeks. A chance to win the game? Can they make those few plays down at the end of the game to win? 
Phil, one more on the 49s before we switch our gears to the Giants specifically. You know, Shanahan's known for that outside zone scheme, a lot of play action off of that. I didn't see quite as much of that watching their offense on tape the first couple of weeks. A lot more power. They have been pulling their guards a lot on their inside runs. Do you think that has a lot to do with Garoppolo's high ankle sprain? Maybe they don't want him moving as much because of that injury. How do you expect to see them try to operate that offense with Nick Mullins in week three? Well, you know, Nick Mullins has played. I like the way he played a couple years ago when he played, I think, eight games. But uh, I think he kind of stood out. Uh, that's why he beat out Beathard. C.J. Beathard is the backup quarterback. Uh, he probably has a better arm and throws it with more power than Jimmy Garoppolo, but he doesn't have that experience. And I know this, you know, the Shanahan offense, it has to be more diverse. I think as the year goes along, they're going to try to do that. It got a little one-sided. We saw it in the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, they don't throw it towards the sideline much, things like that. And there's only so many times you can make the fake and throw that play-action pass over the middle. So they're, they're trying to be diverse. I've seen it with other teams, Green Bay, Seattle. A lot of teams have changed their offense and their offensive thinking because, you know, teams, NFL, they study, they get used to it, and they react better to it when they see it. Phil, I'm curious, from your perspective, when you look at this Giants team over the first two games, now maybe the execution wasn't always there, and obviously they're 0-2, but can you already see some of the, the fingerprints of what a Joe Judge team is in terms of their fight, their discipline, their purpose, their penalties are certainly down? It just seems to me like maybe he's he's already starting to have an impact, him and his staff. Well, you know, listen, I hope so. I do see certain signs. You know, one, I still have great hope for Daniel Jones and believe in him as a franchise quarterback. I think the offensive line has showed some really good signs of how they're playing. I'm still a little puzzled by what I see, what I know they have up front, the fact that they can't run the football a little better. I understand the Steelers just blitzed to high heaven to stop, make sure Saquon Barkley wasn't going to beat them. But the Chicago Bears, you know, uh, they got some big guys up front. They played well, but I still expect more from the giant run game. And, um, you know, yeah, you talk about the toughness, the competitiveness. It's all there. I've seen it in the first two games. But that's just, you know, that's just the first part. As Bill Parcells, I hate to always quote him, but Bill Parcells always used to say, men, if I have to commend you about playing hard and hustling, then we have no chance. I want to take that for granted. And I think it's the greatest thing you can ever say. Uh, I, so you expect football teams to come out, be tough, play hard, and, and hustle every single play. And you've got to build, I don't like you saying this word a lot, but I'm going to say it, you've got to build a culture where that's just the only way that you're going to play. And you know if you don't, you're going to be sitting somewhere on the sideline watching the game or maybe sitting in the stands uh, looking for a job. All right, this question from a- at A.J. Marshall 3, Phil. You already talked a little bit about the offense in general. That's what he wanted to know about. So how about I switch gears and kind of focus a little bit on Jason Garrett and his scheme? How do you think what Jason Garrett's trying to do schematically fits this Giants offensive personnel? Well, you know, so far I, I like what they're doing in the past game, um, you know, a lot. I-, I think I've been pleasantly surprised at the protection Daniel Jones has been getting. I mean, he's had many plays where he's gone 1-2 and still has time to find the third guy to throw to. So that's impressive. But, you know, Jason Garrett, hey, look, in Dallas, they knew how to run the ball. Uh, the offensive line coach, Marco Colombo, yeah, they they got to get this run game going. Now, I know they picked up Devontae Freeman this week. I covered him early in his career. Uh, maybe he's refreshed himself. I hope he's in great shape. 
but you talking about a guy that will run in there and get you three yards, it is the last carry of his life every time he touches the ball. So maybe he'll provide a spark if it works out. But the running game's got to get going just so they can get some easier throws down the field, more deeper throws, and get guys open because people go, oh, I got really fooled by the run. All right, Phil, question number two from our fans. At MStock4RD wants to know how long does it usually take for an offensive line to gel? And I specifically would add the fact that you've got a brand-new center in Nick Gates who hadn't taken a game snap at the position until just two weeks ago. Yeah, how long does it take? Well, you know, the longer they play together, of course, that means a couple things. Um, The longer they stay together means they're good enough to stay together. So that's a big deal. And just all the little things that happen during the game, uh, seeing defenses move, seeing people, you know, the, the different variations, and you're able to not even communicate, just do it because you've done it so much. So that takes a while. But again, I'm just going back to this. You know, the one thing I do, I find silver linings in a couple things. I overall have, have been, I would be, if I was a Giant fan, I would be happy with the offensive line as shown so far. Yes, not happy about the running game, but they're doing the biggest thing first. They're protecting their quarterback, I think, pretty well. All right, Phil, but, next you know, to give an answer to it, how long does it take? Hey, look, nothing's overnight. And so it's going to take a while, but uh, I think so far you've got to go, okay, this thing's moving in the right direction. All right, we got at Hunnewell Jason on Twitter, Phil, and I think this might be one of your pet peeves based on what I've seen you talk about on CBS and on Showtime. Does it surprise you how fast... People try to label young quarterbacks as busts, and does it drive you nuts? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we, we, we predict the Heisman Trophy winner in week one, and I'm watching TV this morning, watching games, and all they're talking about, the MVP. We've played two weeks, and it's an unbelievable overriding topic on everything. And I just go, oh, my gosh. Listen, I know this for a fact. I don't know Daniel Jones. I really have never talked to him, but he's got great – he's got NFL size. He has really good NFL mobility, and I think his accuracy throwing the football is as good as there is out there. Right? I mean, I think he's extremely accurate, throws a spins it hard, and when he needs to, he can put the pep on it to throw it into tight coverage. Uh, so I, I can judge him, judge it that way quick. Now, playing the game and making it all come together, and sometimes this is true, having the personality and the will and all those things to bring your players along with you is something we'll, we'll find out. You know, I can't judge that now, but I know it's a big deal. And I'll give you one little – there's many examples. But Josh Allen in Buffalo, it's, man, you know, here we go. Let's go on the field. I can't wait to play, and I'm going to go all out. And, guys, you know, you can just feel the energy they have when they take the field because their quarterback is – he's not all just all in. He's willing to do whatever it takes to win a game, and that's what you want from your quarterback. Final question from Twitter we have, Phil, at Jason Stewart XO, and I guess you kind of already addressed this a moment ago. He wanted to know what does DJ Daniel Jones do that makes you say he has what it takes to be an elite NFL quarterback. Maybe I should expand that a little bit since you've already talked about him. When you look at the crop of receivers that he's dealing with, plus tight end Evan Ingram, how much can that enhance his development and accelerate it? Well, listen, oh my gosh, any player there are, there's been some really average quarterbacks uh, have great years because they're playing with 
uh, a tremendous group of people. So, you know, the pass protection, you know, Darius Slayton, what a surprise he's been coming from Auburn and his speed. Uh, you know, Sterling Shepard, that's, that's a big deal, uh, losing him or whatever. But Golden Tate, you know, I, I got to, hey, Golden Tate's found new life, the fountain of youth. He still looks quick. You know, that guy you need to bail you out. And, of course, Evan Ingram, hey, they got to find more ways to get the football down the field to him because the NFL, if there's one position that's really blossomed over the last few years. It's tight end. And there's not like a couple good tight ends in the NFL. There is a lot. And it just it seems to be the new thing. These big we saw it with Darren Waller with the Los Angeles Raiders. Well, I didn't say Oakland. I'm happy about that. But, uh, <laughs> but, but there's just so many. Every team you you see them, and um, it, it's so those guys have the greatest matchup against linebackers and safeties. And what else? They're in front of the quarterback, so that makes it an easier throw usually. So uh, those things. He's got some good weapons. Uh, you got to be happy with that. It's good enough, and I think we just need to keep seeing progress from the offense, and you know, of course, also from the defense. Um, James Bradbury has been exactly what I thought he would be. I liked him in Carolina. I know Dave Gettleman drafted him down there, and you saw his specialty against the Chicago Bears. The receivers running an in cut. There's certain corners you don't do that against. He is one. <laughs> because he reads the quarterback through the receiver. And those kind of corners that keep to leave Richard Sherman, you don't throw inside because they're going to trail on the back hip and go underneath. And he did a great job knocking the ball up in the air and causing the interception. And my last little thing, Mitchell Trubisky. Cry, moan all you want, Chicago. He really played well in the game. Oh, my God, he threw two interceptions. Well, one is because Bradbury made a great play, and they should have known better. But the other one was an unbelievable interception. Trubisky made about five or six what I call big plays, power plays. How about when he scrambled in the pocket, the old three-man rush? The three-man rush comes to haunt you, and that's what you do as a quarterback. By time, he did, and he found, oh, Mooney. And the back left, you know, or the front left corner of the end zone, which was a huge play of the game. All right, Phil, final question before we let you go. Just give me a feel. I'm not going to ask you to predict it and give us a score or anything, but what, what do you think this game on Sunday Giants and Niners is going to look at? Is this going to be a grinded-out affair, like a 17-13 type of game, you know, whichever team turns it over less? Just what do you think the feel for this game is going to be on Sunday between these two teams? I, I think it'll be like that. It might be the first one to 20 wins. I think the Giants, uh, with the injuries up front for the 49ers, with D. Ford, I think, is out too. I think they can protect Daniel Jones. The coverage of the their secondary is okay. They rely on the speed of their linebackers and their rush to get it done. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just think the Giants have a really good chance of winning. I think it's going to be – I'm – feel very confident this is going to be a close game and the Giants are going to have one more time are going to have a chance to win and like I said when we started this can they make that one or two plays at the end of the game or somewhere and wherever it is to really give them that advantage to win this game that's Phil Sims on the Sims Spotlight brought to you by Bigelow T T proudly Phil thanks so much we look forward to having you on the show all year long great to talk to you Phil guys thanks for having me and uh, look forward to talking to you again Good stuff. That's Phil Sims. Thank you for joining us. Of course, you can see him on CBS, Inside the NFL, all the other great things that 
Phil does, former Giant, obviously Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champion, you name it. Uh, the list goes on and on. We've been here all day. We're listening to all the great things Phil Simpson's done. But uh, <laughs> Also, I, I, the reason, by the way, and I'm, I'm happy Phil's gone because I know he'd be embarrassed by me like praising him while I'm on the air with him. He's become, and I like this. I know some people will be like, John, why are you like insulting the guy? I'm not, no, I'd love this. He's such like a, like a curmudgeon that calls, you know what, on stuff that people just say in the media but really doesn't make any sense, and I love that. Because he's someone that's played the game and he gets what actually happens. And he's not afraid to say, you know, that that's something you say, but that's not actually how this any of this works. <laughs> well, that's the beautiful part about what, what Phil's analysis provides, John, is he's frank, he's honest, he puts the work in as much as anybody who's ever done the job. Well, he watches the tape. He that's all he can ask. He puts the work in. He has, he has his own home theater set up at his house, okay, with the big screens and everything, and he's looking at all this stuff, digesting it nonstop. I dare anybody who is, who is not either coaching or playing a game to try to outwatch him in the film room. So we'll have Phil again on Thursdays before every Giant home game, maybe another road game as well to make up for that week one game that we didn't have him on. Again, it's all presented by Bigelow TT Proudly. And we'll be sending out on either Monday or Tuesday from the Giants account uh, promotion for the show. If you reply to that tweet with your question, uh, we will get to your questions and we can ask Phil. And really, the questions this week were good. And I do know how I know they're good, Phil. Uh, Paul, I looked at him. And I said, well, these are some of the questions I was going to ask Phil. So now I don't have to. I'm just going to read the questions. So good job out there, guys, getting the questions in. Good stuff. Absolutely. All right, Paul, let's, uh, we had Jason Garrett and we had uh, defensive coordinator Patrick Graham on a little bit earlier today. I'm going to see if I could turn around some of that Graham sound for us before the end of the show. While we're on, we'll see if I can manage that amazing feat. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, but I'll try. Uh, but they, they spoke today. Uh, nothing earth-shattering from either guy. The one thing from Patrick Graham that I thought was interesting, he was pressed by the media with one question from, uh, from Jordan over at ESPN about whether or not Corey Ballantyne is no longer the other starting outside corner. He would not really commit to that. Uh, because Isaac Yadam did play a little bit more in the second half of that game after Ballantyne gave up that first half interception. But uh, he just praised how hard Corey Ballantyne works and how much he likes him as a player. So I think we'll have to wait and see who that second perimeter cornerback is going to be when the game starts on Sunday against San Francisco. Well, John, to kind of piggyback off of that, I think the Giants have made it very clear. Both Coach Graham and Coach Judge have said over the last two weeks that they are going to give everybody a shot opposite Bradbury, and they may wind up just going with the hot hand. So it doesn't really, in my mind, matter who starts playing number one because, as we have seen over the first two weeks, the guy who has started has not played all the snaps at that spot. They, they, have, they have, you know, shifted guys in, and I'm sure they're going to continue to do that until they're satisfied that the player who's in that spot is going con to consistently produce over the course of a four-quarter game. Until they find that guy, I think they're all going to continue to get reps. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think anyone has stood out, Paul, yet to the point no. where you're sitting there like, well, this guy deserves to get every snap. I don't think we found that guy yet. So I think you got to kind of just keep going until you find that guy and who deserves to be out there more times than not. And who knows what? Maybe they find Paul. That, and again, you have to be careful with this because teams that watch tape and they're good in their preparation can catch on to stuff like this and, and, and figure it out, which obviously you don't want. But 
Maybe you figure out that, all right, well, we really like this guy playing in zone better. We like this guy when we want to press. We like this guy when we want to play off, depending on the type of receiver you're playing. And maybe they'll mix and match that way. As much as you're mix and matching the hot hand, you mix and match based on who the opponent is, what they do, and what you want to do against them, and the physical ability of the receiver on the field. So that's another factor week to week that might determine which one of those guys is out there. Well, I think that's very true, John, and I would also add another layer to this, and that is it doesn't really matter if the other team knows what you're doing because if you do it really well and you execute properly, you're going to cause them problems regardless. 100%. The other thing we haven't really talked about much yet this week, Paul, I don't know, maybe you and Lance did on Monday. I'm not sure if you did. But I'll stay on the theme of the Giants secondary. And by the way, folks, get on the line now at 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. Let's get you on. We'll take your calls right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, the rest of the show. The one thing that I don't think, I don't read a lot of the articles that are out there, so maybe this has been talked about, and, and I, don't, I haven't just noticed it because I'm usually just trying to you know watch the game and the tape and figuring things out for myself. But the Giants have basically adopted a three-safety-based defense. Mm-hmm. They, they, their, their base defense is a 3-3-5, and they're playing that 75% of the time, give or take, with those three safeties on the field. Now, I'm counting Logan Ryan as a safety. The beauty of Logan Ryan right. is that he can play both. So some some plays, maybe that's really more like a, you know, uh, uh, three, you know, three corners and two safeties, however you want to classify Logan Ryan. But he, even against two tight end formations, Paul, the Giants are in that 3-3-5, which means he's not a cornerback if there's two tight ends on the field. He's playing safety. Correct. So this is something we talked about a lot in the offseason. It looks like Patrick Graham has adopted it, and I think that third guy was going to be Xavier McKinney. But once they brought Logan Ryan in after McKinney got hurt, he kind of took that role over where they are trying to get their best players on the field, and the best way to get those guys on the field right now is to play that 3-3-5. So as much as Devontae Downs earned that second inside linebacker spot, he hasn't been on the field a ton defensively because they're putting out those three safeties. Well, and quite honestly, when Downs got on the field, I don't think he produced at the level that they wanted him to either, to be fair. But I will also say this, John. If there's any way that McKinney can accelerate his return, could you imagine what this defense will look like? Coach Graham is going to have fun with that Rubik's Cube. If he can have Ryan and Love and Peppers and McKinney all on the field well, at the same time. That, that gets a little tricky because who are you taking off the field then? Blake Martinez? No, I, I think what will happen is your opposite corner whoever, from wherever Bradbury is. You've got the opportunity now. If you want to, you could actually throw. Do you want to put uh, Logan Ryan as the perimeter guy? Correct. Mm, you could throw know. Ryan out there on the perimeter. They haven't really shown the willingness to put him out there yet. Well, no need to. Because at this point, they like him being a, a, a jackrabbit. Of, oh, uh, I said a jackrabbit. I, meant a, I, don't, I didn't mean that. I meant a jack of all trades is what I meant. I know. That's what you meant. It's not what you said. Hello? No, I meant a jack of all trades. I think they like him as a jack of all trades. But if McKinney can come in and be the jack of all trades, now Ryan can go to the other spot. Remember, sometimes what happens is when you bring a guy in, and he asserts himself into a spot in the lineup, it's the ripple effect that actually gives you the additional production. Yeah, that's true. And we'll have to see how they handle that once McKinney does make his return. Obviously, there is no timetable in relation to the injured reserve list because you can return after three weeks now. So it's just going to be a matter of when he's healed and when he's ready to go. That's when he's 
going yeah. to be back on the field, and, and we'll see when that is. Again, 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. Paul, we're getting a little bit more clarity here as to what the Niners' injury situation is going to be. We mm-hmm. got the injury report yesterday after the Giants you know, finished their practice, the Niners finished their practice, and we finished our show. So the Giants right now are looking pretty healthy. Carter Coughlin, hamstring practice in full. Adrian Colbert, defensive back, was limited with the quad. That's it. Otherwise, injury report empty. No Golden Tate. So he's full out. He's good to go. Now, of course, no Shepard, no Barkley. They're not listed on the injury report because they're on injured reserve. They're obviously not going to play this week. For the 49ers, a lot of these positions are kind of grouped together. So I'll kind of group those guys for everybody. Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman, both knee injuries. Neither one practiced. And based on what Kyle Shanahan has said, Paul, I can't imagine either one of those guys are going to play this week. So you're looking at Jarek McKinnon and I think Jeff Wilson is his first yes. name, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, those will appear to be the two guys, along with Kyle Juszczyk, who's a really versatile fullback, will be the guys that will kind of take those backfield carries with both Coleman and Mostert out, which is a hit because Mostert's a big play guy. He's very fast. <clears throat> Tevin Coleman's had a lot of success in this league. He's had a couple of big plays against the Giants in the past as well. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, he has that explosive ability. He has a 55-yard run this year, which was on a third and 31, by the way. Great job, Jets, stopping him on that. And <laughs> oh, boy. That was a rough, rough, rough play. And, you know, Jarek McKinnon, if he gets his juice back, he's a good running back. And then Wilson obviously doesn't have a lot of experience. So that's the situation right now in the backfield for them. Yeah, you know, the interesting part here is that Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman were teammates with the Falcons some years ago. And now, uh, look at it, they're on, on the opposite sidelines for this ball game, and, and one guy is hurt, and the other guy may actually be able to play on Sunday. Uh, McKinnon, um, he's an all-around back, but he's never been regarded as a feature guy. No, that's correct. He's yeah, always even been in, regarded as a complimentary. Yeah, even in Minnesota, he split carries. And I'm trying to remember correct. who he split carries with, but he split carries with somebody. Well, so my point is, uh, I I honestly, John, if I go into this game as the 49ers offensive coordinator, I'm probably thinking to myself, uh, we might only be running the ball 20 times. Which would be a big divergence for them. Uh, because sure look, would. Doing the film study and, and some of the statistical review, Paul, uh, first and 10, I think they have the sixth highest run rate mm-hmm. in the league. It's over 60% on first down. They want to yeah. run the football. They want to you know, have long, time-consuming drives and – and then this is the second part of the equation, and it's a, it's a good transition. With Jimmy Garoppolo having a high ankle sprain, it doesn't, he didn't practice on Wednesday. We'll see if he mm-hmm. practices on Thursday. I would guess right now he's not going to play. Kyle Shanahan basically said as much when he spoke to the media and did the Giants conference call on Wednesday. So they're going to be without their starting quarterback, and their running game is dilapidated. To your point, how many carries can these guys handle? So how are they going to handle this? You know, Mullins is the guy, as Phil pointed out, he started eight games back in 2018 when Garoppolo had that seizing injury. Actually played fairly well. Had some interceptions, but he was productive. He did. So he gets the ball out quick. He, he, can, he can be mobile on those rollouts and, and things of that nature. So he can play. I mean, he's, he's a good player. But how are now they going to try to operate this offense with, by the way, George Kittle with a knee injury. He missed last week. He was limited in practice, so if he can play. Jordan Reed did a nice job subbing for him, by the way. And Debo Samuel is still on injured reserve with that foot injury. So they are a mess offensively. And if here's how I look at this, Paul, and I'll let you comment on it in general. If there was ever a week where Kyle Shanahan was going to pull out every part of that scheme to try to do things to surprise and confuse the Giants to make up for some of that injured talent that might not be on the field, 
this is going to be it. I think most of his offensive talent really relies on, on the, the receiving core. I mean, Pettis has certainly gotten some pedigree. Bourne's done some things. We know about Sanu. We know about Ayuk coming out of the draft. Wilson's got hands coming out of the backfield. And, and I mean, look, I know that Jordan Reed has been often injured in his career, but right now he's playing. He's on the field, and he's healthier than George Kittle. And he played, okay? well, last, and he played well last week, by the way. He did. He did. So uh, I would think – I would think trying to force the typical Niners running attack, which is what they certainly want to do, you're right. I think that's like trying to eat soup with a fork. I just don't think they've got the proper utensils to do it. And I think that they've got better utensils designed to try to throw it. Now, what what I see from Mullins is quick release, quick hitters, short stuff, medium range stuff. He doesn't have the arm strength to really stretch the field, which means the Giants might be able to cheat in the secondary a little bit. And then the other thing about him, yeah, John, he, he can roll, roll out and throw a little bit, but he's not really a guy who's going to test the edges of your defense with his feet no, or with his arm. No, no, he's no. Just no. Not. no. And he's just not. And he doesn't want to take off with the ball either. He's not a Trubisky type. No, and, so, and, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is – I really believe, and, and it's like this is one of those, you know, no blank, Sherlock, but the 49ers have so many significant injuries on both sides of the ball. I would not feel very good if I were playing anybody right now because they're really, they're really handcuffed. Their hands are tied behind their backs. They're going to try to win a game basically hopping on one foot. I, I, and I think, you know, injuries are part of the game. And the Giants have a couple of devastating injuries themselves. But I think when you look at the Red Cross Bowl, which is what's going to play on Sunday, <laughs> it really it's the Red Cross Bowl. I, I think the Giants, be, you know, how many times did we hear Joe Judge say the healthier team is going to be the team that wins this year? Well, yeah. the Giants are healthier this week. Yeah, and look, that, that's not to underestimate it, though, because the 49ers, even after the injuries to Bosa and Solomon Thomas last week and Richard Sherman, their defense played pretty well. So they're very they're they're coached very well on defense. They still the Jets have, didn't test them, John. No, that 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 is true as well. The Jets had a pretty conservative game plan, but the Niners dictated that too. They played a lot of zone coverage, a lot of two mm-hmm. deep zone. They kept everything underneath, and I think that's what you're going to see this week too. They have two good linebackers in Quan Alexander and Fred Warner. Eric Armstead's still there. Javon Kinlaw is still there. So they do have some players that can still make some plays. Uh, I think their defense, if I'm a 49er fan, I'm feeling better about their defense surviving this than their offense, yeah. simply because that was the strength of my team to begin with. And I think they're so ingrained in that scheme that they're going to execute it, even if they don't have the great individual players out there. For the fans that know Solomon Thomas and Nick Bosa, both on injured reserve with knee injuries. Richard Sherman is on injured reserve as well. He's going to be back probably in about three games. He hurt his hamstring, I think it was. In, leg. In leg, I'm sorry, in, in that week one matchup. So he missed last week too. So the 49ers are struggling on both sides of the ball. But to me, this is still going to be a challenge for the Giants offense, Paul, because you know Daniel Jones is going up against a good defense that knows what they're doing. And if I'm the Giants, and I, this might drive fans nuts, this is the way the Niners play you. I think the, 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 the Giants are going to have to be very patient here. If you try to take too much and do too much, that's when you might run into some mistakes in this game, turn it over, and that's what's going to lose you this game. If the Giants don't lose this game and they play good fundamental football and don't make a lot of mistakes, they got a good chance of winning it. But the 49ers will try to force you into some mistakes with their zones and things of that nature. That's where this game could be lost 
if I'm a Giants fan, look at it this. Don't make those mistakes on offense. Punt the ball away. It's not a big deal. Your defense should be able to hold up against the banged-up Niners offense and go back and forth. Then be better on third down. Be better in the red zone. Maybe you take the ball away from a backup quarterback a couple times. That's how you win this football game. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, you know, Kerry Hyder is going to wind up playing for Bosa at the right defensive end spot. Yep. Now, Hyder had one nice sack year with the Lions. I think he had eight sacks the one season when I looked it up last night. Uh, but other than that, he's been a very pedestrian player. And he's a solid backup. He's a solid he's backup. He's a reserve. Yeah, he's a solid he's backup. A, you know, and now all of a sudden, he's got to play a full game. And remember, he is a backup who is a pass rusher. So what would you do against him, John? You would pound the ball down his throat. Well, if he's the right defensive end, which is where Bosa usually plays, that means it's Andrew Thomas's job to basically take it to this guy all day long. And Quan Alexander is the weak side linebacker. To be perfectly frank, you can also run at him. So that says to me, if I'm the Giants, I run strong side left a lot in this game when I want to control the clock, control the ball, be methodical, wear them down. That, to me, would be an Achilles part of this 49ers uh, defense. And I think the other thing that I would be looking for, and I really like this matchup from the Giants' perspective, I like Slayton against their left corner, Witherspoon. I really believe that that is a guy who, in my opinion, uh, a lot of promise, 6'3 corner, he's got height, he's got length, but since he had that early foot injury last year, you'd have watched him the rest of the season. They were kind of disappointed. Sherman, he's in there for Sherman. And, and I honestly believe that Slayton can do some business on him. Now, I wonder if they're going to play zone purposely so they don't have that matchup. You know what I mean? You put him in cover two, give him safety help over the top. I think it'll be interesting to see how the Niners approach that. And this will be my final question to you, Paul, before we get to your calls again at 201 939 Four five one three. It's all brought to you by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. How do you think, Paul, teams are now going to react to the Giants without Saquon Barkley? Are they now going to sit there and only put seven guys or six guys in the box and dare them to run it? Or are they still going to be, all right, we know Jason Garrett likes to run the ball on early downs here. Let's try to slow down that running game first on first down when the Giants roll out maybe a you know 21 personnel or 12 personnel. How do you think defenses will now treat the Giants offense without Saquon Barkley on the field? John, you just raised the one magical question about this game on Sunday because all the other things you can kind of look at and say, well, they've got this guy, they've got that guy, and what do they usually do and how is it going to match up? The one question that I don't think anybody can answer and that we'll be here all the way until kickoff scratching our heads on is what will the Niners philosophically do? Will they tell the Giants, basically, by the way they come out, "Uh, you know what, we don't have a great deal of respect for your running game. We think that Daniel Jones is your best avenue to victory, so we're just going to concentrate on trying to make things difficult for Daniel Jones. Well, if they do that, can the Giants get their running game going with their combination of backs and with an offensive line that has been sporadic in blocking for the run? Can they do that in week three and make the Niners pay for that strategy if that's what San Francisco decides to do? Or, as you said, does it go the other way 
and do they go with the age-old philosophy of let's stop the run first and then let's put more pressure on Jones because the Niners think they can get up on the Giants and then force Jones to have to come from behind like he's had to do the last two weekends. John, it, that's the one that's going to be – I'll be scratching my head all the way up until kickoff. I don't know how the Niners are going to approach it. Neither do I. I think it'll be interesting and, and fun to see how, how they do. All right, let's go to the phones at 201-939-4513. Let's go to Lennon Columbia, Maryland. He'll lead us off here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hey, Len. Hey, guys. How you doing? What's going on, pal? Um, f- uh, first comment, um, and this fits into a couple of things you guys have been talking about. Um, when you play a team and where you play a team is almost as important as who you play. Uh, 49ers, you know, you look at their depth chart and you look at their roster. I mean, there's a lot of names there, but a lot of them aren't playing. And, uh, you know, I think we caught them at a good time. If we're going to play the 49ers, this is the week to play. Yes, them. absolutely. No even question. Beyond the, even, <laughs> beyond the, even beyond the injuries, um, you get into – you know, a week away from home, Greenbrier's not a not a bad place to hang out, by the way, <laughs> if you guys have ever been there. And for those of you who like don't home. know, that's in West Virginia, just so you know. The Niners did yeah. stay here on the East Coast following their yeah. game against the Jets at MetLife last weekend, went down to West Virginia. They're doing their business down there. Then they'll come back up the coast to play the Giants in a 1 o'clock game uh, which is 10 o'clock San Fran time uh, here yeah. on Sunday morning. So, Len, that's a point. And quite honestly, as you heard me ask Phil Sims about, the added mental distraction about the whole turf thing, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why any team oh, right yeah. now would want to play San Francisco. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. I think we caught them at the right time. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to, you know, necessarily going to win the game, but I, I think we got a little, you know, a little something, you know, going for us here. Um, and uh, on the injury front, um, you know, if, this, if the second guy, you know, the quarterback, or the third guy, the running back, the second guy, the tight end, was as good as the first guy, they'd be starting, and the first guy wouldn't. <laughs> so, you know, we're playing. I mean, Mullins, let's, I mean, come on, it's Mullins. It's, it's not Garoppolo. Um, and it's not, it's not most third. It's. It's McKinnon. Now, Len, honestly, I, mean, I, I think I think the drop off at quarterback might actually be a little bit less than the drop off at the other positions. To be honest with you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. But it's not Garoppolo. No, it's not. You're fair. I mean, You're you right. know, I mean, you know, and he's and he's you know a young guy, and you know he surged uh, you know a couple of years ago. So I mean, I'm not putting him up on a pedestal. I'm not scared of this quarterback. I'm not, I mean, come on. You know, he's a backup quarterback in the NFL. Um, a couple of things about the matchups. Um, we, we've got 11 defensive backs on our roster. That's a lot. Um, I'd like to put all 11 on Kittle. <laughs> but but who, who covers? Who covers? Who co- that I mean, was good, Kittle's man. That was guy. good. I mean, if, if Kittle goes, if Kittle goes eight for one fourteen and two. We're, we're in trouble. Now, to me, Len, to me, those tight ends, it's mission number one for Logan Ryan and Jabril Peppers. And I think if Kittle okay. plays, to me, that's Logan Ryan. If he doesn't play, then you put Logan Ryan yeah. on Jordan Reed. Good. Yeah, I, I like I've, that. I've let, no me, let, me give you, all right, let me let me give you one other option. What's wrong? I, I, this is, you know, the first thing you guys are going to play, well, he doesn't play that position. What's wrong with, um, you know, going with the Belichick formula, 
You put your best guy on their best guy. You shut down their best guy and let their backup speech you. Well, you want to put, you want to put Bradbury, Bradbury on him? Yeah, you know how what? How about Bradbury? Not, not impossible. Given how banged up the rest of the wide receiver core is, I would think about it. You do still need guys to cover, though, Kendrick Bourne, and you need somebody to cover Brandon Ayuk. And that other outside cornerback yeah. position, Len, is so, such a question. I worry about yeah. taking your best guy out of that spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you know what yeah. the problem here, Len? Thank you, Len. You, you, don't, you don't have Perry Williams, Everson Walls, and Mark Collins. You're thin on the boundary corner depth chart, and that's really what it comes down to. If you wanted to play with that thought, you better make sure you have a second and third boundary yeah. corner who you can trust. Like, like in a vacuum, I actually like the idea. If they had that second and third boundary guy, Paul, you could trust. And you know what? Maybe, maybe they trust Logan Ryan to cover Ayuk and Kendrick Bourne and Darnay Holmes and, and guys like Yadam. And if they do, I would consider that because Bradbury is big and physical enough. Now, he's not as big and as physical as George Kittle or Jordan Reed for that matter. But if, if he no. can cover Allen Robinson, I think he would be just fine against those guys too. So I'm sure he would. Yeah. I'm sure. But, you know, again, John, this comes down to all of these players who are in that Rubik's Cube have to earn Patrick Graham's trust before he can even make a consideration of that nature. No, I'm with you. You know, and that did they, you know, at this point, I mean, heck, even Ryan Lewis now, right? Yeah. Even Ryan Lewis now is potentially in this equation. I mean, we know that there's some familiarity with, with the coaching staff. Uh, does he maybe get some reps on Sunday? And do they throw him out there and say, hey, you know what? This is your chance to compete for the job, too. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think it's a really good question. 201-939-4513. I did pull some Patrick Graham here, so why don't I play that? Charlie, Zach, we'll get to you guys in a second, I promise. But let's hear a couple minutes here of Patrick Graham talking to the media just before we started our program. Um, I'm curious, when you lose a back like Saquon, who's so, so multifaceted, how do you scheme around that when your offensive line is struggling, and how does Devontae Freeman fit into what you guys need to do? Yeah, I just think you go back to work with the guys that you have. And we have a lot of confidence in the backs that we have here and Dion and Wayne. And those guys will certainly get opportunities. And for us to be able to sign a guy like Devontae Freeman is, is a real bonus for us. Came in and had a good workout the other day. Practiced well yesterday. And really, was, we want to see how he handles the work as the week goes on. He's obviously been a really good football player in this league for a while. He's a smart guy. He's a football guy. He's instinctive. So we'll try to get him up to speed as quickly as we can and just get back to work. You were coming from a place where you had Zeke and now you had Saquon at least for two weeks and building a game plan around him. What are some of the advantages to having that committee approach that um, maybe people on the outside don't understand as much? This is Jason Garrett, by the way. Sorry. Oh, you know, I, I just think the biggest thing you try to focus on as a coach is who do we have and how do we how do we best utilize these guys individually to take advantage of their talents and also how, how, how do we utilize them so we can be the best offense we can be. And so if you have a guy like Saquon Barkley, you know, a lot of, a lot of the offense is going to go through him. He's going to get the ball a lot. He's a really good player. When I was in Dallas, we had to defend him a lot. And, and the focal point of, of our defense was, was number 26. So when you have different guys, you know, in those roles, you know, maybe the focal point's not quite as narrow on that particular player. So maybe that works to your advantage a little bit. But make no mistake about it, Saquon's a great football player, and he'll be missed. But we have a tremendous amount of confidence in the guys we're putting out there. Tom Rock. Jason, one of the things Joe said about the 49ers yesterday was that they, they don't give up a lot of explosive plays. Uh, you're an offense now that's 
missing two of your home run hitters, so to speak, uh, with, with uh, Sterling and, and Saquon. Uh, do you need to find those those long explosive plays, or can you get by on on sort of t taking baby steps down the field and, and piecing together long drives? Yeah, you know they're an excellent defense for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you know, you know they're really stout up front. Uh, they're disruptive. Uh, in the running game and obviously can get after the quarterback and their backers run well and their secondary is awfully good and all fits together. They believe in their scheme and they play it really well. And a big part of playing that is they don't give you a, a whole lot of stuff. They certainly don't give you a lot of big plays. So, you know, against a defense like this, you certainly look for ways to make big plays. The correlation between making explosive plays and a drive and scoring is pretty high in this league. When you don't make them, it's, it's much more difficult. I think we've done a pretty good job over the first couple of weeks you know, having some long drives, uh, but you have to mix in some explosive plays within those drives. You know, that's how you score points in this league. So we're always finding ways to do that. This week could be another really good challenge against an excellent defense. That's Jason Garrett, not Patrick Graham. My apologies, guys. But talking about Devontae Freeman first and talking about the 49ers defense. And, Paul, before we talk about that, uh, let's go to Zach and Monroe. He wants to talk about Devontae Freeman and coming off that Garrett cut, I think it makes sense. Zach, what do you got for us today? Hey, guys, I just want to point out one thing. I know David Deal said that it takes a year and a half for that offensive line to mesh well. And I think we just got to give these new guys a chance. There's three new guys playing there. And and also, I want to ask my question. Do you think that they're going to run an outside uh, scheme with Freeman since he's on the team? You, uh, you, mean, you, mean, the, you mean the outside zone scheme specifically? Yeah, yeah, specifically that, yeah. Uh, I appreciate the call, Zach. Thank you. To me, Freeman's a guy that can do a little bit of everything. And even though he's not the biggest guy, Paul, he was the physical back in that Falcons attack. Coleman was kind of the outside speed guy when they split the carries there, and Freeman was the more physical guy inside. I think Freeman can do just about anything you ask him to do, whether it's pass protection, catching the football, run inside, run outside. I think if you want to pinpoint a running back that you're going to run more outside zone with, I think that's actually Gallman. I think that's his strength, kind of put one foot in the ground and then get up field, which is kind of what that zone scheme is designed for. I think it's going to be a true three-headed monster type of attack. You know, Freeman was able to get on the practice field on Wednesday. They must have accelerated the, the COVID testing program. It used to be three days, three-plus days. They, they obviously got it down to, to two uh, from the get on the field on Wednesday. So that's really good news. I think they'll have a narrow game plan for him. You don't know how good his wind is, Paul, so how many carries can he really handle in this first week? You don't know what kind of shape he's coming in in terms of uh, his wind and his uh, cardiovascular health. So, you know, that's a question I think you have to ask in terms of how much he can handle both from a mental and a physical standpoint. So Lewis and Gallman, to me, are Steph, still definitely both going to be involved this week. Yeah, I agree in that all three are going to take snaps. I, I truly believe that. I, I, I'm going to put a number on Freeman. I probably shouldn't, but it wouldn't surprise me if he touches the ball as many as eight to ten times in this game. Sure, I think that's fair. You know, I, and here's the thing, John. You're right in that over the course of his career, he's been able to be productive in a variety of ways. I mean, that's why he was a two-time Pro Bowl back with the Falcons. But in truth, when he came back from his injury last season and he started 14 games, the Falcons had changed coordinators. They had changed running backs coaches. You remember Shanahan was his coordinator when he was a 1,000-yard back, and they ran the outside zone scheme. They don't run that anymore in Atlanta. 
and they didn't run it last year. And I made a call to to one of my guys down there who who you know is, is a regular around the Falcons. And he said to me, look, I don't know how much tread he has left on his tire, but I will tell you this. They abandoned the outside zone scheme. He loved that. That's when he used to get his 1,000 yards. And the thing about it is this offensive line isn't very good, and they didn't give him much to work with, and they kept trying to pound him between the tackles, and that's just not where he wants to make his move. He wants to be able to, to follow those blockers outside the numbers and then pick and choose his hole. So it was his impression that the scheme as well as potentially the injuries and the age had combined to reduce his numbers to where he was only averaging about, what, 3.6 a carry. Interesting. Because the first two weeks as well, the Giants' offensive line, the outside zone's been a little bit of a struggle for them too. It had been. So It had been. We'll have to see how that works now in week three. But you know Colombo did run that in Dallas. Oh, absolutely, sure. And, and, and that's the idea. That's what the Giants want to do. Whether or not they can do it, I don't know. But I would suspect we're going to see them try some of those plays, figuring that not only is Freeman comfortable with it, but he knows the play. Yeah, no, that, that's true. It's certainly a scheme he's familiar with, and it's, it's not one of those deals where you need to teach that. That's something he knows how to do. Yeah. All you have to do is learn a new language in terms of how you that's call the it. play in the huddle, and that's it. That's it. Give him one chapter. Oh, yeah, we got some of those outside zone scheme things going. You, you, you got those five plays? All right, maybe that's all he runs. How many years was he with Shanahan in Atlanta? One, uh, I want to say it was four. Was it four of those? Might have really? been three. Was it four? Okay, interesting. I, I, I didn't it was, he was there enough. I, I know he was oh, there for his 2,000-yard seasons. Cool. Yeah, I, I didn't remember it was that many, but if it was, then I think your point is, is, is very, very valid. All right, let's go to Charlie in Portland, Maine. He's up next. Charlie's been holding the longest. What's up, Chuckles? Hey, guys. Two, by the way, John. He was there for two. Two. My apologies. But, but, two but, seasons. But it was his two best years, though. Yes. Got it. And Shanahan was the coordinator, so it was his offense. Got it. No, it makes sense. Hey, guys. Go ahead, Charlie. Yeah. What's up? Hey, uh, I was just going to say, Paul, you know they're going to run, try to stop the run because that's what every team does. So that's what they're going to try to do first. And then they'll go from there. No, nah, but Charlie, and, that's not the case. That's like the first week when the Bears played the Lions, they dared the Lions to run it. They didn't try to stop the run first. So mm-hmm. I do think it's yeah, really dependent on the week. And they got a lot. They have 425 yards, too. But anyway, um, I, I guess I guess oh, one thing about Phil Sims would be great if he would take a couple uh, calls from uh, fans. So, you know, it's, uh, it's funny, to, Charlie. Uh, we asked him, but he's listened to the show before, yeah. and he said, I'm yeah. not going to talk to Charlie. So, he's not going to. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Charlie, Charlie to, be, to be honest with you, Charlie, we have him for such a small amount of time. Yeah, it's a limited. Yeah. This guy is so busy studying film 25 hours a day. We, we just don't have the time to, to do it. But please, by all means, submit a question to us, for, and we'll try to get it to Yeah, him. I will. I will. And, and I'll tell him that I drink Bigelow tea, too, so that might help. I hope that's better than some of your other remedies. Tea proudly. <laughs> hey, uh, what, was that, what was I going to say? So listening to you guys is that we had probably 10% chance of beating the San Francisco 49ers. If they I don't were know totally what show healthy. you've been listening to no, no, because I said, think the Giants have a if, much better shot. Paul, he said, you know, no, he I, said if they were healthy, 100%. Were healthy. Oh, 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 okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and so now they're not healthy. So what I think you're saying, if we get beat by them by 14 or more points, we're a pretty bad team. Is that what you're telling me? I mean, I, I think it depends how the game goes. Like, if you have 
a fumbled kickoff or a punt that gives them a, a, a seven points. If you have like a deflected ball at the line of scrimmage that pops up in the air, they return it for a touchdown and things like that, then I'm not quite as concerned as I would be. But if you go into this game and the Niners outgain you like 450 yards to 200 and they blow you out 31 to 6, I think there would be a legitimate cause for concern. And I think that's fair. All right. All right. That's all I want to know. And, and the thing is, I, you know, I'd like to – I don't know if Daniel Jones, maybe one game he went, he played that he didn't have a turnover. I think it was only one, maybe not even one. So – and he's always at least gotten two. So I would just like to see him not have any turnovers. That's his fault. And uh, yeah, then you have great. a good chance of possibly winning the game. But he hasn't been able to do that yet, and that's one of the questions I would have liked to ask Phil since. You know, it's funny, Charlie. That, that actually was the – I had that question locked and loaded, but we ran out of time at the end. I was actually going to ask him that. Yeah. So next, yeah. Ne- next time he's on, I'll ask him next that time. for you, all right? Absolutely. Okay, guys. Thanks for uh, having me on. I'll talk Be well, to you guys Charlie. Later. Thanks, Charlie. All right, let's go to Lawrence in Florida. He'll wrap us up. Lawrence, what's going on, pal? Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. I called last year, and you, and you told me to call back. Okay. I'm calling back. Great. But, uh, <laughs> okay. I'm glad you finally got a new phone. <laughs> well, I was the one that called up. I didn't want to miss the uh, – I didn't want to go to my nephew's wedding because I'd rather see Tiki running down the field than him running, uh, <laughs> walking down the aisle. There you go. You know, playing the Cowboys. But anyway, the only thing that bothered – I'm confident that I think the Giants are going to win this week. The one thing that bothered me was last Sunday when they were going for it on fourth down, they were going to do the fake, fake – uh, you know, try to draw him off sides. And the center, if you look at it, he didn't even put his hands on the ball. Yeah. He's supposed to drive somebody offside without his hands on the ball. Now, Lawrence, I agree. I don't think that was the best, ex- best executed attempt to draw the defense offside. I think that's fair. Paul, you agree? Yeah, in fact, uh, Joe Judge was asked about that, and I, I, I want to try to find a quote here if I can yeah, for you. Yeah, he because... was asked, and I, and I actually forgot what he had said. Good, Yeah, and good that's, call, well, while you continue with your next point, I'm going to go try and find that for you because it was, it was a, a point that was brought up by one of the writers, and I, I would rather read you his direct quote no. than to try to answer it myself. But if, go yeah, with call. your next point. That's okay. Um, any other points I'm trying to think? I- I'm just confident. I think the Giants are going to be okay. You know, everybody gets all nervous and shook up. But remember Bill Parcells, when he- his first year, he didn't do too well. And other people, you know, it's all going to come together. So I'm just confident and uh, all that kind of stuff. And I just wanted to uh, say that I'm not going to lose faith in the team. Sounds They're good. They're going to be there. All right, Lawrence, but, uh, I, I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for the call. Don't be a stranger. Call all back. All right, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Lawrence. Uh, I found the question, John. Oh, good. I was actually going to throw to Patrick Graham, but if you found it that quickly, why don't we do that first? Well, yeah, it was on Monday, and Joe Judge was asked, it says here, uh, there was the fourth down play where you kept the offense on the field. It looked like Nick Gates never put his hand on the ball. Uh, what happened there? Excuse me. And Joe Judge's answer was, Quote, I think he was out there over-communicating, looking for a check. Which tells me, by the way, maybe they weren't just trying to draw them off sides. That's maybe what they were that tells me. to get the first down. Uh, that's exactly what it tells me. Uh, I think if, if I can kind of translate this, my thinking is they went out there, and if they saw a certain look, they were going to audible out of something and then run a play. And I'm guessing he maybe didn't get it. 
And of course, the theme there then too is that you got to get them out of the out of the huddle faster and to the line a bit quicker, so you have time to do that sort of stuff. Because yeah. they didn't actually get to the line of scrimmage, so there was what five seconds on the clock, give or take. That was like a that. very delayed uh, s- set of uh, of actions there. So I will stand by by by, by my previous by my previous point. That was not a well-executed play, <laughs> which is as generic I as I would it agree. Gets, but I think it's fair. All right, we got about five minutes to go, Paul, so we've got time for about four minutes of Patrick Graham, right? He had a chance to talk to the media today. Let's take a listen. We start with the first question. I just want to ask you a little about this 49ers run game and, and really the Kyle Shanahan run game. Why does it seem like no matter what running back is in there, uh, they're super effective? I mean, it starts with, one, they're, they're well coached. I mean, I think they do a good job, but that's not to diminish the skill set of the players. They, I think they do a good job of evaluating guys where, you know, some people might not have seen uh, the value and it, or, what, or not even that. It's what they, the guys they want for their system. I mean, I don't, I don't know those guys that well, but, I mean, it does seem like whoever they get, they plug them in there and they can play and, and they present problems, but... They probably have they probably have a checklist of what they're looking for and what um, and they probably go out there and evaluate whether it's through the draft process, free agency, uh, guys being familiar with guys from other teams and just they're like, hey, this is a guy that fits the mold for what we want and they do a great job. Hey Patrick, um, hey. so Isaac Guydom is a guy you guys traded for right before the season. You know, he's he was a third round pick. For the Broncos, he started for two years, and then you know they traded him right before the season for a seventh round pick. I'm curious when you get a guy like that who's kind of been through that kind of journey. Like, do you say like come in and prove the Broncos wrong for giving up on you? Like, is that a conversation you have with them? Is that is that the motivation deal? Uh, well, I, no, because I mean I, I don't know the reason why they wanted. Uh, yeah. They were, they, I mean, they might have had a need somewhere else, and you know it's all about the value and all. This, I mean, I can't speak for those guys, so but. Do I use that as motivation? No, I'm just I'm just happy he's here. You know, he's a big corner who can run, who can tackle, has some speed, um, and plays physical. So I'm just glad to work with him. How, how has he handled that like quick yeah. turn? You know, he, he got traded to you guys right before the season and had a you know, and then he got thrown into the fire pretty quick, obviously. I mean, he's working hard, you know, in, in extra time in the meetings, um, you know, with our younger coaches, you know, like Mike Trier and uh Blevins working with him. So, I mean, he's getting all the coaching he could take and just trying to catch up because, you know, he wasn't here for the spring, the Zoom call part of it, and he wasn't here for a training camp with us, but he's catching up. Thanks. No problem. Pat, uh, where do you stand at that number two cornerback spot, at least the, the outside on the outside across from Bradbury? I mean, guys are competing. I mean, you know, you know whether it's Corey, Ike, you know, Slim, all those guys, they're competing for the spot. And, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out, see what happens on Sunday, who we think is going to uh, – but we still got two more days left of competition. Uh, I know the guys are uh, looking forward to practice here today. And, you know, usually what we do, we just evaluate it as the week goes through. And then, you know, you get to the game, and if there's somewhere, some uh, place where you need to change there, we'll do that. But, you know, I think it's just an ongoing competition right now. It seemed like Corey was benched after the touchdown. He really didn't play much, if if at all. Uh, you want know, what was the thinking behind that, and, and sort of what have you seen from him early on this season? I know yesterday Corey he was working 
really, really hard in practice. And I mean, I saw him run into the ball yesterday. I'm just, I'm proud of a guy like a young player, you know, going out there practicing hard and, you know, uh, working on his skill. I thought he did a good job there. He's um, in the meetings. He's been great as we try to get caught up on the 49ers and the receivers we're dealing with from them. But I mean, I couldn't be, you know, Corey's preparation, you know, in terms of what he's doing right now to get ready for the 49ers has been good. And, you know, he's practicing hard and I'm sure he's ready to go practice today. Are you content with this play on the field now? That's, you know, that's a, that's I, I, also I, part I, of the equation, I, right? I don't, I don't know. I'm not content with, I mean, we, we, we all have to get better. We all, like, so I'm not going to single him out. I mean, like, I have to get better. Patrick Graham has to get better. So, I mean, if we're in the early part of the season, um, I got to do a better job of coaching. I got to do a better job of calling the game. I mean, that's how I see it. I mean, so I can't, I mean, everybody has to get better. Anytime we get complacent in this league, uh, it might be your last day, might be your last year, who knows? But I'm not going to ever get complacent. I'm never going to let them feel me getting complacent. We, we got to keep improving. So am I content? I, I hope not. I hope not. If I do, I'll probably, now I'm probably at the end of my career. <laughs> Well, remember, we learned a long time ago when Tom Coughlin was here, you never ask the coach if he's content about anything because that usually gets a, a rather pointed <laughs> reaction. I don't think Joe Judge would be happy with that with that word content either. But like I said earlier when I tried to paraphrase, uh, paraphrase Patrick Graham, excuse me, very uncommitted on who that second starting quarterback is going to be on the outside, which Paul speaks to our earlier point about whether or not you want to put Bradbury on Kittle because then who's your second and third guys are going to be. Right. Look, the bottom line is, and we're going to take another line here from Coach Coughlin, you got to earn your reps. It's really that simple. And how do you do that? Well, you do it in practice, first of all, because you have to show it in practice before they're going to trust you and give you an opportunity to do it in the game. And then when you get out there in the game, you better show up when the spotlight's on. And, and only then do you get to hold on to the job because there are other guys sitting behind you who would like every opportunity to try to take it from you. All right, Paul, final thoughts. This is your last show before the game on Sunday. You can, of course, find Paul on our pregame show, which will be 1130 on WFAN. So give me your thoughts here, Paulie. Uh, what do you think? Giants and Niners, I don't need a prediction, but how do you think the game's going to go? And just, you know, what are your final thoughts heading into it? Well, I, I think, you know, when you asked Phil about the kind of score you're expecting and Phil said first team gets to 20 may win, I, I, I kind of think it, it might take a little bit more than that. Um, something in the area of 23 to 24 okay. might might be what it takes to win the game just a tad more. Uh, I'm not sure that either one of these defenses is clicking on all cylinders yet where they could say for certain they're going to hold the other team under 20. Uh, Giants, of course, you know, they did that last week against Chicago, but um, I don't know if I have total, total confidence yet that they can do that. So, but, but I do like their chances. I'm, I'm not going to pull any punches on this, John. We've said it basically all show. If people couldn't read between the lines, then they were closing their eyes. I really do like the Giants' chances. I do think that Phil's right about the desperation being a great motivation. And I think there are enough of distractions and enough of injuries on the 49ers' side. You know, if, to me, it'd be pretty hard to pick them as a favorite against most teams in the league right now. They have too many things going against them. 
hey, look, the Giants had a chance to win last week. We said it on the show. They had a chance to win. They just couldn't pull it off. Same deal this week. They'll have a chance to win, but they have to play well to do it, Paul. It's not one of these games where you they go do. out there, play a C game, and oh, you're going to win. You the Giants play well are to not do a, Yeah, the Giants are not near that level yet. Exactly. Where, where they can afford to make mistakes or they can afford to sleepwalk through part of a game. They're just not there. Okay, I'll be here with Feagles tomorrow, giving you more preview of Giants and 49ers and taking your calls all show long. We thank uh, Phil Sims and Bigelow T., uh, for that spot today. And I'll remind you, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll see you tomorrow as the Giants get ready to take on the San Francisco 49ers. Stay safe, everybody.